Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, for Christmas, one of the things that I got was one this book, which is one of a long series written by Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard. This one's called Killing the Witches. If you're familiar with the series, uh, they all start killing the somebody. So I think the first one was Killing Jesus, and there's Kennedy, and there's... Patton and there's all kinds of them and I've enjoyed them. I find them to be well-researched and and well-written This one at least the first third of it is about the Salem witch trials And I, I may have mentioned this before but I have a personal interest in that because when I did my family genealogy I found that I have two women who were actually executed in the Salem witch trials back in the 16, 1690s. If you know anything about that event, you know that none of the people who were killed were witches or dabbled in the occult. There was, though, one that was. She was the first one accused. She was a slave named Petuba. And she had come up from the Caribbean and was sort of like uh, a nanny to children, which is always what you want to hire as a nanny. Anyway, when they accused her, do, do you dabble in the cult? Do you dabble in witchcraft? She said, yes, I'm sorry, I'll stop. And they said, okay. They really didn't do anything much to her. But afterwards, a lot of strange things happened. Now, part of it is because the, the judicial system that came over from England was wholly ina- inadequate. It was easily abused. Part of it was because of the greed and bitterness of people who made accusations. Part of it was because of paranoia that existed amongst the Puritans in particular, but all of the world, the Western world, of the occult at that time. But even when you add up all those part of it, I don't know yet you come up with what actually happened. I do think there was something more pushing it along, making it the ugly event that it was. And I do think that was the power of Satan. Now, when you look at our readings today, you see it two different times, really, in in history, where there is a strong pagan culture around. Even in the time of Jesus, there are a lot of pagan influences, just miles, sometimes not even miles, just feet away from what we consider to be Jewish and pre-Christian sites. In fact, I I didn't even appreciate this until I went to Israel. We drove past one that was being excavated. It was right on the route that you would take from Nazareth to go to Jerusalem. And then, uh, to blow me away, we all read the story of the Pool of Bethesda, where there was a man who was waiting for a quote-unquote angel to stir the waters, and he couldn't get in, so Jesus healed him. I always thought Bethesda was a Jewish site. It isn't, was it? It was a pagan site. 
a Greek pagan site. Whatever was stirring the waters, if anything was stirring the waters, I don't think it was an angel. Jesus came to show that he had power over not only ill health, but the demonic. Those cultures gave their people a worldview of how things worked. That's how they understood the world was created. That's how they understood who they were. That's how they understood where they were going after this. It also gave power to some of the powerful. A lot of kings and pharaohs were kings and pharaohs because they fit in to the mythology of their culture. And while you could say, okay, it's fictitious, but pretty much benign, you got to also realize that some of those cultures also gave Satan's kingdom ready access to people. If you remember the story of Moses facing off with the Pharaoh's uh, quote-unquote wise men, Moses turned a staff into a snake by God's power. But how did the wise men do the same thing? They also duplicated the first plague, the plague of frogs. How did they do that? They did it by the power of demonic forces. Now, sometimes we feel like we're pretty far separated from stuff like that. And indeed, there is a reason why you don't quite see that kind of event in our culture. Um, It's because of those practices that people were so into. Here in the gospel lesson, there was a man possessed in the synagogue... How does he get how does he go to synagogue and he's possessed is what I wonder. But that man is probably not innocent. He was going somewhere else besides the synagogue. He was going to pagan cultural events, worship events, because he thought that they would give him power or luck or success. That's what they went for. That's why they did the things that they did. Same thing with the man in another story who's possessed by a legion. He wasn't just walking down the street and got mugged by a legion of demons. He was no doubt involved with the pagan aspects of the culture around him. And now he had some regrets. In the Old Testament... I extended that reading out just a bit so that you could see what came before it. Deuteronomy 18 has this paragraph where God is warning the Jewish people, do not take up the practices of the Canaanites who you're going to dispossess. Now, God had made a promise to Abraham that his people would have that land. But he isn't just kicking out nice Canaanite people. These Canaanite people sacrificed their children to their fertility gods. These Canaanite people dabbled in all sorts of occultic things, including trying to communicate with the dead by the power of Satan and who knows what else. It did 
empower them to do certain things. But notice what God calls it, how God feels about these practices. He uses one word that I think pretty much says it all. It's detestable. Detestable to him. So he's not neutral about it. He doesn't suggest that this is sort of a bad thing. This is detestable. Stay away from it. Today, partially because of a reaction to this, and partially because we kind of believe that maybe science has dispelled such things and that this is strictly superstitious or mental illness, we look at some occult things and maybe think that they're just scary fun. You know, you can play with these things and not have problems. You can go to New Orleans and walk right into a a, a voodoo temple and put a wish in the wall. If you ask, are there witches in Salem? There are today, that's for sure. Go up the hill a bit, and there's a first church of Satan up there. It looks just like any other Christian church. You walk down to the waterfront where there's shops, there's occult shops there, just like there is souvenir shops. Scary fun. Ouija has been sold for a long time by a game manufacturer. And we just don't take it seriously. All the things, the palm readers or the horoscopes. Um, I'm going to a conference out in Phoenix at the end of February. And just for a day, uh, we're going to go up to Sedona. Sedona is a beautiful place filled with weird people. And what do you see in Sedona every few feet? All these crystals and aura readings and stuff like that. Scary fun? I don't think so. I think it dabbles into the power of Satan. Has that all been explained away? Are we just being backward when we talk about it? Well, you know what? It all comes down to really not research as much as philosophy that can back science at times. Science of our brain, neuroscience, still has to deal with what exactly are we. The atheistic view says we are just the product of our brain chemistry and our brain electricity. We don't even really have a free will, said a Stanford scientist recently. We're just doing what... I, 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 I'm preaching today because I had no choice. My brain chemistry made me come here. It's a ridiculous assumption. But they draw this conclusion because they've done experiments on people's brains where they put probes in at different places and send electrical charge. Well, yeah, it creates thoughts. It even creates actions. And they conclude, see, the brain creates all your thoughts and actions. But that's just like the dumbest conclusion you could possibly come from. What is the scientist doing? 
It's cre- he's creating, she's creating the impulse from the outside. Normally, that would be your soul. Your brain is set up to be an interface between part of you, your immaterial part, and your body, your physical part. That interface was originally made not just to interface within you, but it was also meant to be an interface with God. And now it doesn't quite work that well. And can anything else interface that? Yeah, I'm afraid it can. Especially if you open the door to it. The other part of this book, and this is a strange one for the series, and that I thought it was going to be all about the Salem Witch Trials, but just the front third is. The back third is about an event that's been very well documented. It happened in 1949, and the Washington Post recorded it all. And it happened in Maryland to a boy who um, had a had an aunt who was a spiritist. And they played with the Ouija board, and all seemed fine. And then weird stuff started to happen. And she went away, and she died. The boy, desperate to get in contact with her, started using the Ouija board and didn't get in contact with her, but got in contact with something. Pretty soon, stuff's moving around the house, and there's unnatural cold. There is... um, scratches on the boy's chest that form words. The family happens to be nominally Lutheran. They send him to a Lutheran pastor, and a Lutheran pastor thinks the boy's screwing around, makes him stay at his house for a day, finds out that his furniture's moving around without any explanation. So he says, take him to the Catholics. The Catholic Church thinks the same thing until the boy one time reaches into a mattress, tears out a spring, and slashes a priest from his arm up to his armpit. Finally, they're on their own, and they get the word Lewis on a chest, scratched in there, and they go to St. Louis, where, where the aunt was from. And the whole thing transpires eventually ending up in Election Brothers Hospital, a hospital that's now torn down. It's kitty corner from where you see St. Louis University Hospital. And what book comes from it? The Exorcist. And it, it isn't a fiction. In fact, people who watch The Exorcist, and The Exorcist is a pretty scary movie, very scary book, the people who went through it said, well, we're scarier in person by far. Satan's task, for the most part, isn't possessing people, nor is that exactly what demons are there to do. Their goal overall is to get people to lose their faith in Christ or to never to come to faith in the first place. Beyond that, their secondary goal is to make human beings, in particular Christian human beings or Jewish human beings, as miserable as possible. It is just sort of a spoiler role because Satan has already lost the battle in Christ. But the words of 
God to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy kind of fit today. Don't don't seek direct contact, direct conflict with the kingdom of Satan. It's a dangerous thing that we are not to dabble in. It isn't fun. Nobody ever finds it fun in the end. In fact, one thing that I did learn in this book about that event is the, the, the block of houses right around where this boy lived had problems long after, maybe even still. There was a woman found murdered in a bag. Another neighbor killed his mother, chopped her limbs off. I mean, there and there was a third one. So if you happen to be buying real estate in Maryland and you find it unnaturally cheap, uh, you may want to research that one a little bit as to why. Satan's biggest impact, though, isn't through the occult and stuff like that. It's through the power that he exercises to move human minds. Humans are just too too ready to do what is evil. And so when you get into, or if you would get into, some of the dark sexual perversion that exists in this world, you will find at the heart of it the demonic same thing with the drug culture. The Mexican cartels are very much involved with a sort of bastardized version of Catholicism that calls in the demonic. When you find racial conflict, a lot of times you will find not just that we are tribal, but that we're being influenced by the demonic. When you dig into the cruelty especially the darkest cruelty of this world, you won't just find human, you will find demonic. So in the atrocious attack that Hamas did, I'm sure you find the demonic. You go down to the south to Sudan, where there is just genocidal killing, you will again find the demonic. Same thing in Ukraine and Russia. Why does Russia continually have these kind of problems? It is, no doubt, the demonic. And when you find that the gospel is somehow being poisoned by some idea or somebody's misbehavior, maybe you won't see a dabbling in the occult, but you can be certain that Satan and his kingdom were involved. And that is why, even if it seems a little backward, even if it seems a little superstitious, you don't want to be paranoid, but you do want to realize that we are in a spiritual battle. And that battle is not fought conventionally. It is fought with the Word of God. So we need to listen to Jesus and trust what He says to do and not to do. And we need to trust his power because, just like we sang in the hymn, we are not really up to a one-to-one confrontation with the kingdom of Satan. But Jesus fights for us. We just need to resist Satan and his schemes. And if people want to make fun of it, that's fine. But we know who we are, 
and we know to whom we belong. So let us fight alongside our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.